Hello and welcome to The Almost Forgotten, the podcast that looks at the lives of great historical figures who have fallen through the cracks of our collective memories. In this episode, we'll look at Matilda of Tuscany. For a time, she was the most powerful ruler in all of Italy, save for maybe the Pope, and she ruled parts of northern Italy in one way or another for over 50 years. Maps and images can be found on the website, almostforgotten.squarespace.com, you can email me at almostforgottenpodcast at gmail.com or find me on Twitter at the Almost Forgot. This is Season 5, Episode 5, Matilda of Tuscany, and this is The Almost Forgotten. Matilda was born in the year 1046 to Boniface, the Margrave of Tuscany, and Beatrice of Lorraine. Both of these places were parts of the Holy Roman Empire. At the time, the two Roman empires were the biggest powers in Europe. The one that put holy in front of its name stretched from the Netherlands and Germany, down through Switzerland, and into northern Italy. The other one, based in Constantinople, found its power mostly confined to the Balkan Peninsula. The Umayyad Caliphate held much of Spain, while the Kingdom of León was beginning to gain power to its north. France was decentralized. The Capetian dynasty had limited royal holdings at the time. Their Duchy of Normandy was producing some pretty strong adventurers, and Duke William would soon be venturing across the Channel to conquer Anglo-Saxon England. Further east, the Kingdom of Hungary was new on the scene, as was the Kingdom of Poland, while the Kievan Rus was about to end its golden age and enter a period of decline. To the south, the Fatimid Caliphate ruled most of North Africa, and the Ghana Empire was the main power in West Africa. Further east, the Abbasid Caliphate in today's Iraq and western Iran was in a weakened state, and the Buyid dynasty would soon be passing control of the empire over to the Seljuk Turks. The Turks also pushed the once large Ghaznavid Empire, who still ruled Afghanistan and northern Pakistan, out of northeastern Iran. India was made up of many states, including the powerful Chola Empire in the south. Rival Khanates, disunited and often warring with each other, ruled the steppe, while the Song dynasty ruled much of modern China. The Manchurian Liao dynasty held a large swath of territory to their north, and at this time they were often at war, often unsuccessfully, with the united Goryeo kingdom of Korea. The Pagan kingdom was just starting the expansion that would allow it to grow from a small kingdom to one that ruled most of today's Myanmar. Srivijaya held Sumatra and much of Indonesia, although Chola attacks from India as well as smaller kingdoms from the east, weakened them for a time. In the Americas, the Toltec Empire had risen to dominate much of Mesoamerica, while the Chimu people flourished on the Peruvian coast, and the Wari and Tiwanaku still probably held some sway in the area. Up north, what is known as the early period of the Mississippian culture was beginning, as scattered tribes began to coalesce into regional, more complex chiefdoms. Back to Europe, the Italian peninsula is pretty much where we'll stay this episode. In southern Italy, chaos reigned as the remnants of the Lombard kingdom and the Byzantine presence there yielded to the onslaught of the Norman invasion. 
Robert Giscard arrived in 1047, a year after Matilda's birth, although it would be a few years before he began uniting the region. Central Italy was under control of the papacy, and in northern Italy, Matilda's parents ruled. Not entirely independently, but they ruled the March of Tuscany mostly independently, although in the name of the Holy Roman Emperor, as his vassal. Her father Boniface did not inherit the Margravate of Tuscany. He earned it. He was born the son of the Count of Canossa, named for their stronghold, although they were probably from Lucca, a town near Pisa, where Matilda may have been born. Boniface united Tuscany with his own ancestral lands of Amelia in north-central Italy. Beatrice was the daughter of the Duke of Upper Lorraine, or Lotharingia, in the western part of the empire, mostly part of France and Luxembourg today, including the cities of Verdun and the German Trier. Her mother was Matilda of Swabia, whose father Herman II of Swabia also happened to be the father-in-law of Holy Roman Emperor Conrad II. Her aunt, the Empress, helped raise her. So, long story short, Conrad's children, including Henry, born in 1017, and Beatrice, had the same grandfather. After the Holy Roman Emperor died in 1024, Boniface had supported Conrad II, his cousin through marriage, as Conrad established what would be known as the Salic Dynasty. Boniface was crucial in defeating rival Italian lords supporting other candidates, and so, in about 1027, the emperor named him Margrave of Tuscany, greatly expanding his territory. Under Boniface, Tuscan land stretched along the western Italian coastline, from north of the Papal States, east to the central spine of the Italian peninsula, including much of the northern Apennine mountain region, up to the Kingdom of Lombardy and the March of Verona. Boniface was probably the most powerful northern Italian lord. He helped stamp out any other rebellions and was given a modicum of independence. Conrad made an alliance with him, suggesting he wasn't a vassal, he was in charge of Tuscany, now his hereditary land. In practice, though, this independence was sort of dependent on supporting the empire, so it was actually pretty limited. Okay, so imperial margravates. These were the provinces that were the marches, or those on the border, often under military rule. A margrave, or marquis, wasn't entirely different from a duke, but they often were given more freedom of action, and traditionally might have been held by essentially client kings, although those days were gone by the 11th century. A margrave, or marquis, was held in higher regard than a count, and while a duke may have been higher on the pecking order, a margrave might have less imperial oversight in his, or her, territory. In 1046, two things happened that will be crucial to our story. The first, as I mentioned, was that Matilda was born. She was the third child in her family. An older sister, also named Beatrice, and a brother named Frederick, preceded her. Matilda was well-educated. She was fluent in four different languages. Unlike many of her contemporaries, she didn't need a scribe to write her fellow leading nobles in Latin. She was a lover of education. She fostered it and funded it. She was a voracious reader. And, as a feudal lord who needed to make legal decisions for her subjects, she took the time to really understand jurisprudence and became well-versed in the laws of the day. But we'll get back to her. The other event of consequence for our story is that Conrad II, Holy Roman Emperor, 
died in 1046, and his son became Henry III. This is the same Henry who shared a grandfather with Beatrice. Henry entered Italy for his coronation in Rome, as Holy Roman Emperors did, and Boniface showered him with gifts, which made Henry suspicious of this awfully rich nobleman who had been allies with his dad. Maybe he was a little too rich. The story goes that Henry then tried to lure Boniface north a few times, where he could capture him on some trumped-up charge. But Boniface was able to both answer his master's call and do it in a way, with an army in tow or some guards or whatever, that kept Henry from actually doing anything. But some of these stories sound like maybe they were inserted later, after the two split on policy. Henry was interested in making sure he was in charge of papal succession, while Boniface thought that was the church's job. Boniface, though, was assassinated in 1052, shot with a poison arrow, although it probably had more to do with his attempt to limit the power of his own vassals rather than any arguments with the emperor. Beatrice became regent for their son Frederick, who was still a child, and in order to protect her son's inheritance, she quickly remarried. She chose as a new husband and stepfather to her children, Godfrey III, former Duke of Upper Lorraine, not related to Beatrice's father, who once held the same title, also known as Godfrey the Bearded. Matilda, then a young child, was engaged to Godfrey's son, her new stepbrother, the descriptively named Godfrey the Hunchback. Godfrey was an interesting choice because he and Henry III weren't exactly on the best terms. Actually, he was in revolt against the emperor, which is why he was the former Duke of Upper Lorraine. The fight was mostly over trying to get rights to lands that he saw as hereditary. This marriage of Henry's cousin Beatrice, without his approval, to a lord currently in open rebellion, did not make the emperor particularly happy. Henry basically said, look, Tuscany is part of the empire, and since the empire is me, I am it, you gotta get my approval to own any part of it. So Tuscany is not yours anymore, and it's certainly not Godfrey the Bearded's. In 1055, Henry went down to Italy, and Beatrice decided this was a good opportunity to try and hash out some sort of agreement. She and the Margrave of Tuscany, little Frederick, went to visit the emperor in Mantua, which was part of her fiefdom. There she pleaded her case, saying she had done nothing that wasn't within her rights, that the Pope himself had set the marriage up, and that she was doing it to help defend the empire's lands by bringing in a strong leader. This, of course, had no effect at all, and Beatrice was told she wouldn't be leaving Mantua at this time. Young Frederick soon died, as did the younger Beatrice. No foul play seems to have been suspected. This left Matilda as Boniface's only living child, which made her the new Margrave of Tuscany, although, at eight years old, she still needed a regent to rule for her. Matilda had not made the trip to Mantua with her mom, so she was sent to the castle at Canossa to be kept safe. Godfrey was not idle at this time. He had been taking part in a full-on rebellion against Henry's rule in Lorraine for about a decade. He returned there and was able to distract Henry with fighting in the north. So, rather than descend upon Tuscany with a full army, Henry had to go up to Lorraine. Despite all of this, it seems some eventual reconciliation happened between Godfrey, Beatrice, and the emperor before Henry died in the fall of 1056. 
His son, Henry IV, who was only six at the time, was the new king of Germany, and although he hadn't been crowned emperor yet, he would basically be able to rule as such through a regency. By early 1057, Godfrey and Beatrice were free again to rule the Margravate of Tuscany as regents for their daughter, Matilda. At the time, the relationship between the papacy and the Holy Roman Empire was complicated. For centuries, the Pope had sort of been dependent on the Empire for his own safety. The Empire gave the Pope some land around Rome, and that land had grown in surrounding central Italy. The Pope crowned the Holy Roman Emperor after the Empire's electors decided who that man would be, which gave him legitimacy as, you know, God's chosen Emperor. It was a back-and-forth arrangement, but the Papal States were part and parcel with the Empire, even if Germany didn't control it. By the middle of the 11th century, the papacy insisted that they, not the civilian authority, should be naming churchmen to positions of power. At the time, it was the emperor or the Duke of Bavaria's call who gets to be the Bishop of Regensburg or Archbishop of Salzburg or whatever. These were big positions. They were basically ruling small vassal states, medieval fiefdoms that were ruled by a clergyman, but had serfs tilling the land and providing men for war when necessary. These jobs went to high-born princes, second sons of dukes and margraves. You get the picture. You can see why the secular leadership wanted to have the power to install them, a process known as investiture. On the other hand, at this time, simony, or the act of selling church offices, as well as other misuses of funds, and general bad behavior up through the top, was giving the church a black eye. Reformers were starting to hold some sway, and they realized that controlling the investiture process, they could put better-behaved men in charge. The reduction of imperial power over the papacy was an unspoken added bonus. Additionally, there was a revolving door of popes for a few decades, including some pretty unsavory characters, and one who was pope three different times. Don't ask. In 1049, a half a decade before Henry III died, a German bishop was chosen as the next pope by the emperor and was approved by the imperial nobles as well as bishops and a deputation from Rome during a gathering at the city of Worms. He said he would only do it if once he got to Rome, the Roman church authorities confirmed his election. A prominent former papal advisor and known reformer, Hildebrand of Sovana, born in Tuscany, convinced him to take this approach, rather than just accepting the appointment on the spot. So, we know where Hildebrand stands on the whole investiture thing. Hildebrand accompanied the bishop to Rome, where he was welcomed and became Pope Leo IX. Leo IX lived long enough to get captured at the Battle of Civitate, as he accompanied an army south to stop the spread of Norman power in the region. But that's a story for another time. Specifically, that time was last year when I covered it in Season 3, Episode 4 on the Normans in Italy and Robert Giscard, in which I deftly pronounced the name of this battle, Civitate. Leo died in 1054, a year after the Battle of Civitate. Pope Victor II was elected in much the same way as Leo. Again, there was insistence on Roman approval, although this time Hildebrand went to consult the emperor, so tacit Roman approval was already there. That was in 1055. Then Henry III died in 1056, 
and Pope Victor died in 1057. After him came Pope Stephen IX. He happened to be Godfrey the Bearded's brother, which you have to think would have disqualified him if Henry III was still alive. But the Germans were not asked about Stephen IX's appointment, and were, of course, not happy. We don't even know that Hildebrand was consulted on this one, although he was sent to explain the decision to the Empress, who was Henry IV's regent, and it seems approval was given. Pope Stephen was a political sort, and he was working to get his brother, who was the Duke of Lower Lorraine again, elected as the new Holy Roman Emperor instead of little Henry IV. He was also trying to kick the Normans out of southern Italy, and was trying to get the Byzantines to come help with that. The Byzantines and the Romans had sort of just mutually excommunicated each other in 1054, by the way, so relations weren't exactly at a zenith. But then Stephen died in 1058, so all those plans were sort of, yeah, put on hold, I guess. Just before he died, Pope Stephen told the bishops not to elect a pope without consulting the emperor, which, of course, is exactly what they did, causing yet another pope traversy. Hildebrand, Duke Godfrey, and a representative for the emperor were all in lockstep on this one, though. Together, they came up with their own guy, and he became Pope Nicholas II in early 1059. Nicholas was the one who gave Robert Giscard official recognition as Duke of Apulia and Calabria and the yet-to-be-conquered Sicily in exchange for a promise of Norman help if needed. Then he died in 1061, and that's when the real controversy started. But before that, let's take a look at what the young Margrave of Tuscany had been doing. Matilda had likely made her way to Rome, along with Godfrey and Beatrice, in 1059 to support Pope Nicholas. She had almost certainly visited much of her realm by that point, and had spent time in Florence, Pisa, and Lucca, among other places. She turned 15 in 1061, and she wasn't just raised to be a learned woman, she was also trained to fight, so that she could credibly lead men into battle. According to Nora Duff in her aptly titled Matilda of Tuscany, Quote, under the able tuition of Arduina della Palude, who afterwards became the general of her army, she learned how to ride like a lancer, spear in hand, to bear a pike as a foot soldier, and how to wield both battle axe and sword. As she grew up, tall and slender, yet agile and strong, she accustomed herself to wear a cuirass of steel, unquote. In case you don't feel like getting your old D&D player's handbook to double-check, a cuirass's armor, a breast and backplate combined. Matilda was said to always be with a company of knights, at the head of her troops, and she was a big fan of hunting, an extremely popular activity among noble men because of the horse riding and use of weapons, essentially a way to train for combat. She would need these skills, along with her formidable intellectual ones, as the death of Pope Nicholas brought years of strife to northern Italy. After his own controversial election, with a rival pope for a short time, he issued a papal bull which, among other things, basically said that rather than the Holy Roman Emperor picking a pope, a meeting of a college of cardinals in Rome would do that, and the emperor would get a sort of ceremonial right to approve. This won't lead to any problems, right? So, in 1061, the cardinals got together. Not sure there was any white smoke at the time, but they picked a close ally of Hildebrand, the Milanese Bishop of Lucca, a man named Anselm. Anselm, the fourth pope since 1054, called himself Alexander II, and the Empress Regent up in Germany called him illegitimate. 
This was another affront to imperial power, and she and her advisors decided that nope, this wasn't happening. Rome was subject to the empire's whims, not the other way around. They decided to nominate their own guy, had a meeting in Basel with some bishops and noblemen from Lombardy and Germany, and came up with Pietro Cadallo, the Bishop of Parma. An opponent of the reform movement that Hildebrand and the Pope were leading, Cadallo decided to go by the name Pope Honorius II, and now we got two popes. Well, actually, you have a pope and an anti-pope, since science tells us that two popes cannot exist at the same time. In order to assert their authority, Henry IV's regents sent Honorius, with an army, down towards Italy. Godfrey began to gather his own forces, or maybe more accurately, he began to gather Matilda's forces. Matilda herself appeared at the head of the troops, armed and armored, ready to fight. Honorius and his forces got to Rome. Fighting broke out between the anti-pope and Roman rebels on one side, against Hildebrand, Pope Alexander, and their partisans on the other. Honorius took part of the city before the Tuscan army showed up. Godfrey convinced everyone to calm down and wait until it could all be worked out with the imperial court. A major conflict was prevented, though, when the Archbishop of Cologne, Anno II, who had been a close advisor to Henry III, seized the regency from the empress. Anno just did not like Honorius, so he said he agreed with the cardinals and with Tuscany that Alexander was the pope, and Honorius basically lost his imperial support. Honorius held out for a while and returned to Rome, leading to some more fighting in the streets, and despite little support outside a small group of followers and some of the less successful Norman leaders like Richard of Capua, he was able to take part of the city again. Again, the Tuscan army was there to help, with Matilda playing a prominent role. According to Duff, one contemporary wrote that, quote, In the face of the schismatics, she, Matilda, entered Rome with her army, with such a train of provisions that Richard began to form plans for retreat to some strong place. Matilda kissed the feet of the Pope, and then took counsel with her captains on the best way of delivering the city from the siege. Rallying the faint-hearted Romans, she attacked the enemy with such fury that they were forced to abandon the greater part of the Borgo and could only retain the castle of St. Angelo, unquote. Eventually, Honorius fled Rome, and his force was caught at the Milvian Bridge. A battle ensued, and although his army was defeated, the anti-pope escaped. At least one later writer suggests Matilda helped lead troops at a battle against the Normans soon after, but it's not clear that this actually happened, and the town that it was supposed to happen in is pretty far south of Rome, so I'll join in with the doubters on this one. But Honorius was pretty much done at this point as a real rival for the fancy Pope hat, and that's what's important here. At some point around this time, Matilda got married to her longtime fiancé, Godfrey the Bearded Son, Godfrey the Hunchback. One account says she was married in 1059 when she was 12 or 13, which is possible, but most agree that it happened later, perhaps in the late 1060s. Her stepfather returned to Lorraine, and then he became very ill in 1069, and prepared for the end in Boulogne Castle in today's southern Belgium, before moving to Verdun. Beatrice and Matilda made their way to Lorraine as quickly as they could, and were with him when he died, in December of 1069. It is possible that Matilda and the new Duke of Lower Lorraine were married at this point, 
and we can be pretty sure that they were by late 1070, because Matilda gave birth to a girl, who she named Beatrice, in August of 1071. Unfortunately, the baby soon died, and by the end of the year, Matilda had returned to Tuscany. Certainly, she could have stayed in Lotharingia, as Tuscany at this point was relatively quiet. But her marriage had been universally regarded as not all that happy, and she did try to get Godfrey to come with her to Tuscany. But her return alone meant that now, as an adult, she would be able to rule as Margrave of Tuscany. So that's what she did. And it's probably good that she was there, because in 1073, Pope Alexander died, and the Romans declared Hildebrand as the new Pope, Gregory VII. He took this name because it would have been awkward if the Gregorian reforms weren't enacted by someone named Gregory. Henry IV was dealing with a revolt in Saxony and had no time for church feuds. Despite the fact that Hildebrand was a reformer and opposed Henry on the investitures thing, it doesn't seem that Henry actively sought to oppose the nomination. So, in June of 1073, the new pope was in place. Godfrey Jr. may have been there for the ceremony, only the first or second time he was actually in Italy, somewhat surprising considering how much his father had been there. Beatrice and the Pope tried to get Matilda and Godfrey to be on better terms, and Godfrey seems to have been trying to patch things up. But he wanted her to come to Lorraine with him, and she wouldn't do that, probably feeling that her command of her own lands would be taken over by him if she left. So he left without her, and joined Henry in fighting the Saxons. Meanwhile, Pope Gregory issued a bull that expressly declared that investiture by lay hands was contrary to the canons of the church and would be henceforth dealt with accordingly. Henry, of course, would not acquiesce to this, and Godfrey, now at his side, was on his side on this issue. Matilda, as you may have guessed, was not and agreed with Pope Gregory. The disagreement was civil and negotiations continued, but Gregory warned Henry that he would excommunicate him if he had to. Then, on Christmas Eve, 1075, Pope Gregory was seized during Mass, kidnapped, and taken to a tower in Rome. The people of Rome rose up and stormed the tower. The nobleman who had taken him, a partisan who wanted to bring his prisoner to Germany, but probably wasn't working on the orders of Henry, realized he was in trouble and begged forgiveness. Gregory was set free, but soon blamed the kidnapping on Henry, which, maybe it was true, but seems a bit rash. In February the following year, Matilda's husband, Godfrey the Hunchback, was assassinated, murdered in the Dutch town of Lardignan when he was doing his business. It seems that the two hadn't communicated since he left Italy. Their relationship strained. More upsetting for Matilda, no doubt, was the death of her mother Beatrice soon after, in April of 1076. Beatrice became ill and died in Pisa. Sharing a grandfather with Henry III made her a good person to help act as a go-between for Rome and the Emperor. And as Henry IV and Matilda were obviously also cousins, she tried to maintain that relationship. With her husband dead, along with her siblings, father, stepfather, and mother, Matilda, the Margrave of Tuscany, was alone in charge. Duff writes, quote, Her position at this time must have been unique in the history of Italy. A woman, still comparatively young, in the zenith of her beauty and power, under tutelage to no male relation, absolutely free. In fact, in a manner unprecedented in her epoch, 
with unbounded riches, unnumbered vassals at her command, and nearly the half of Italy under her sway. On the one hand, she had received the training of a warrior. On the other, there had been the strict discipline imposed on her by the church. Unquote. According to the New Cambridge Medieval History, she, quote, found herself alone at the apex of a power structure, menaced by movements and the hostility of the king, unquote. She was offered opportunities to marry. William the Conqueror's son Robert was a suitor. It is said the Emperor of Constantinople was as well, but she wasn't interested. Besides, with the Saxon revolt mostly suppressed, Henry was again focused on sticking it to the Pope and Matilda was focused on defending him. Henry acted quickly, appointing his own man as the recently vacated Bishop of Milan, despite the fact that Gregory had just appointed someone. And he called for an election of a new pope. Most of the empire's bishops signed a document renouncing Gregory's authority as pope, ready to pick a new one. So, Gregory excommunicated them all, like you do. Oh yeah, Excommunication, besides making it so Henry wasn't a part of the church and couldn't go to heaven or whatever, also relieved all Christians of fealty to him and forbade them from obeying him as king. This was well received by dissatisfied German nobles that Henry had been pushing around. Rebellion flared up again and everyone got scared they had gone too far. Some German churchmen begged the Pope to appoint a new emperor as anarchy was spreading. According to Duff, quote, after a long conference held in October at Triber on the Rhine, the German lords declared that unless Henry caused the sentence of excommunication to be raised before the anniversary of the day upon which it had been pronounced, he must fall forever from his kingdom, unquote. Whoops! Matilda may well have been in attendance there. She was still a margrave of the empire, after all, and she may have traveled to Lorraine, to try to claim some of her deceased husband's lands there, although Henry never did give them to her. The imperial lords told Henry that Gregory would be coming to Augsburg, and he could answer to his charges there and then. Henry was essentially a prisoner in his own empire now, and at the German prince's behest, he sent a letter begging forgiveness to the Pope, stating of course the Pope is allowed to excommunicate him, and of course he can't depose a Pope, so sorry for thinking otherwise. He begged to meet with Gregory in Rome, but was refused. So he decided, rather than waiting to be humiliated in front of his own people in Augsburg, he'd hightail it down south to do the groveling. He begged Matilda, his dear cousin, for help in getting through to Gregory. He then snuck out with his family and a small band of followers down through Burgundy, followed by a somewhat harrowing journey through the Alps in winter. Meanwhile, since Henry didn't tell anyone about this, Gregory began the journey to Augsburg in Bavaria. Matilda met up with the Pope to help escort him through Tuscany, and while waiting in Mantua, they all learned that, hey, Henry's actually already in Italy. They made their way to her fortress at Canossa, and, long story short, there was lots of Henry begging his almost valiant cousin to plead for my forgiveness from the Holy Father, and eventually Matilda helped get him an audience with the Pope. After three days of waiting outside the gate as a penitent, he was finally given an audience, swore all kinds of oaths he didn't actually plan to uphold, and was sent on his way, no longer excommunicated. 
Henry returned to Germany to prosecute a civil war against Rudolf, the Duke of Swabia, who was elected as anti-king. Pope Gregory remained neutral, but Matilda appears to have supported her cousin Henry, if not actively with troops, and she continued working to reconcile him with Rome. But things changed in 1080. They still hadn't been able to reconcile, and Henry again had a conference of nobles in which he stated that the Pope was deposed, and Gregory excommunicated him again in return. Meanwhile, Matilda had donated some of her lands to the papacy, which, considering she was an independent ruler of an allied state, this shouldn't be an issue, right? Henry, of course, didn't see it that way. He saw one of his vassals giving away his lands. So, Henry brought troops down to Italy again, and encountered Matilda's forces in Volto Mantovana, not far from Mantua. For really the first time, her army was defeated. On the very same day, Rudolf achieved a victory against Henry's forces, but was killed, basically ending the rebellion. All of this caused many of Matilda's vassals to abandon her, and she had to retreat to her most loyal territories. Without the forces to deal with Henry, Matilda melted down 700 pounds of silver from her beloved church in Canossa, along with a bunch of gold, and sent that and other funds to help pay for Rome's defense. Although he had to march through Tuscany to get to Rome, Henry made his way there by 1081 without attacking Matilda much more. His first priority was to install his pope, not engage in a long, drawn-out conflict with his marcher lord. He did try to take Florence, but gave up the siege after a few weeks. Gregory fled Rome, and Clement III was installed as Pope. As for Matilda, Duff writes that she was, quote, pronounced guilty of high treason. She was placed under the ban of the empire, and her goods and her lands declared confiscate. It is manifest that Henry was never in a position to enforce the decisions of this court as far as Italy was concerned, unquote. Matilda was just too strong in her heartland for Henry to do much about it. But she was up against it and had to borrow money to fund her troops. Many Romans weren't thrilled with Henry coming down and messing with their business. Gregory was able to secure himself in the castle St. Angelo, as anti-Pope Honorius had once done a few years before. Gregory's supporters, including many Roman nobles, still held the Palatine Hill as well. But on Easter in 1084... Henry was crowned Holy Roman Emperor by the Antipope. And yes, he had been in Italy for nearly three years at this point. Finally, the leading noble in the south of Italy, Robert Giscard, answered Gregory's summons to help him out. Seeing, uh, really no reason to stick around to greet the Norman knights, Henry left like as soon as he heard Robert was on his way. The result was that the Romans that supported Henry tried to stop maybe the least stoppable European military in that half-century, and it did not go so well for them. A three-day sack of the city followed before Giscard finally ended the mayhem. The result, though, was that Gregory was reinstalled in the city and officially excommunicated Henry again. Matilda remained weakened. Many of her vassals, given orders by Henry not to support the rebellious leader of Tuscany, had abandoned her but she was able to pull together a force strong enough to take on a vassal army of Henry's. According to Demetrius Zima in his article in Traditio, quote, When Henry left Italy in the summer of 1084, Matilda rallied vassals and fighting men, took the offensive, and delivered a smashing defeat 
to the king's Lombard supporters at Sorbara, in the plain of Modena, unquote. In 1085, soon after Matilda crushed the Lombards, Pope Gregory died. That year, a great many people in Matilda's lands died as well, as some sort of disease swept through the land. It seems that enough of the rebel vassals in Tuscany died, while her more loyal lords managed to survive, that she was able to regain control of most of her lands. Sorbara was also basically in Matilda's heartland, so she may have been able to rally them the summer prior against outsider Lombard forces invading our lands and whatnot. So, a new pope was elected, and Matilda went to Rome herself in 1086 to secure the city. This pope died in 1087, so in 1088, the bishops in Rome named a new pope, a Frenchman who Hildebrand slash Gregory had suggested before his own death, Otto, the bishop of Ostia. He took the name Pope Urban II, and he would last over a decade. He was actually waiting in Norman, southern Italy, because anti-pope Clement held too many parts of Rome for him to feel safe. But the Normans finally marched up and gave him some safety in the Eternal City. Matilda, though, was occupied at the time. She again faced rebellion, this time in Lucca. Urban, eager to help Matilda, and knowing her position must be strengthened in order to prevent Henry from just marching right back down to Rome, started to try to get her to remarry. A marriage alliance was arranged between Matilda and Welf, or Guelph, the son and heir of the Duke of Bavaria, also named Welf. Once close allies of young Henry, when he formally and finally split with Pope Gregory, the Welfs stuck with the papacy. They owned lands from northern Bavaria down through northern Italy, making their family one of the most powerful in the empire. Welf was only about 17 when he married the 42-year-old Matilda in 1089. She wasn't thrilled with the arrangement, but she was desperate for help against Henry. The Welfs certainly envisioned a great inheritance in Tuscany, not from offspring since she was already in her 40s, but I guess to her child groom whenever she died. Of course, she had already willed her lands to the papacy, but nobody really recognized that. She, of course, was not interested in being steered by anyone, and she wanted to govern her territory on her own. Contemporary chroniclers said she only did it because the Pope asked her to, but she had to have understood the positive implications for her own land security in doing so. Henry responded to this by marching an army down into Italy as soon as winter ended in 1090 and besieging Mantua on her northern borders. This is now nine years after he first marched down to Italy, and Matilda was essentially in rebellion against the emperor the whole time. It helps demonstrate the complexity of Holy Roman imperial politics that the rebellion sort of waned and waxed, and that there was no thought in her mind of actually doing anything to break up the imperial state itself. Mantua held out for nearly a year, occasionally relieved and reinforced by Matilda and Welf, before Henry was able to buy his way in. After the fall of Mantua, Henry quickly took more towns in the March of Tuscany, while Matilda worked to strengthen her holdings south of him, in the Reggio and Modena regions of the Apennines. She sent a group of soldiers on a daring raid to attempt to capture Henry when he was separated from his main force, but their commander, Welf's uncle, purposefully waited until Henry's army had caught up, either Henry's secret ally all along, or bought off at just the right time. 
He sent his men in too late, and most were killed, while he escaped and found refuge in the heart of imperial territory. Henry then took a few more cities and besieged Monteveglio, but not far from one of her strongholds in Modena, Matilda had prepared it for an attack and reinforced it. Henry sat in for a long siege, and Matilda was able to reinforce and resupply the city. Then, an army of reinforcements came to help Henry, led by the anti-pope Clement, and he saw an opportunity to negotiate from a position of strength. War with Tuscany was one thing, but he didn't want all-out war with Bavaria, and he was teetering on the edge of just that happening. Matilda simply had to accept Clement as Pope, and all would be forgiven. She agreed to consider the terms. She called a council of war at her castle in Carpaneda. Many of the leaders of her lands were present, and the well-respected Bishop of Reggio tried to convince her that it was time to acquiesce. She tried her best. Nobody could question her piety, but she had so little left. Her northern lands had been taken. Tuscany was a mess and the Bavarians weren't helping as much as she'd hoped. She should agree to peace and work with Henry to convince him of the right thing to do with the church, over time. Of course, there was much grunting of approval from many of her lords. But her situation wasn't so dire. Sure, she was in trouble. But they were now in her heartland, and the fortresses there formed a strong defensive network throughout the Apennine Mountains. Henry was strong, He might have had more men, but he was surrounded in unfamiliar territory, and this territory was completely loyal to Matilda. Then a monk, perhaps from the Abbey of Canossa, stood up and was like, What the heck, aren't you Matilda, the one the popes call Matilda the daughter of Peter? And in a line that would have made King Philip II of Spain smile, he was supposed to have said, Quote, It would be better to lose your kingdoms utterly than to possess them with heresy, unquote. He went on about God's will and all that, and he won the room. Negotiations ended. Matilda and her forces renewed the relief of Monteveglio. Henry wasn't going to be pushed away easily, and he constructed some giant siege engine, which the Tuscan forces were able to destroy. He decided to take part of his army towards Parma, but it was a ruse. He was really aiming for Canossa, supposedly because of the humiliation he had suffered there as a penitent. Matilda, with troops at Canossa and herself with a force at nearby Bianello, was ready for it. Upon Henry's approach, according to Zima, quote, a dense fog arose confusing their vision and movements, whereupon the Tuscan knights, issuing forth from both strongholds, caught the attackers between the pincers, captured the imperial standard, and forced them to beat a hasty retreat. It was the turning of the tide, unquote. Henry barely escaped, spending a night in a small town before crossing the Po River, with Tuscan forces in pursuit. Matilda's heartland had never abandoned her, and her other cities soon returned to the fold. More bad news came for Henry in 1093 when his son Conrad, who had spent significant time in Italy and, unlike his father, was well-liked there, defected. He was said by the Italian sources to have been motivated by his strong belief in the church, although at least one German source said he was Matilda's pawn. He was crowned King of Italy, a title given to the Holy Roman Emperor since Otto I in 962. 
Further family splits came fast and furious. Henry's wife, Empress Eupraxia, fled to Italy, where Matilda took her in. She later gave public testimony about the heretical and satanic things Henry made her do, if you're into believing those sort of things. Matilda, too, separated from her husband for good, around 1095. We're not really sure why. Matilda may have pushed it. Or Welf may have learned he wasn't inheriting any lands from his wife. Or just didn't like being second in command to her in Italy. And he hit the road himself. Either way, it ended the Bavarian alliance and sent them back onto the imperial side. With this news, Henry, who had been stuck in Verona to the north, was finally able to return to Germany, since Bavaria was safe to travel through again. Yeah, he'd been hanging out in Italy for more than three years again. But he decided to stay a little longer and teach Matilda a lesson with some Bavarian reinforcements. He marched toward her castle at Nogara, but she pulled together a large force and went to meet him. He quickly changed his mind and decided not to stick around, leaving his baggage train behind, and made his way up through the now-open Alpine passes back to Germany. Back home, Henry took away Conrad's succession rights, naming another son, another Henry, as his new successor. As war in Italy ceased and Pope Urban's uh, Pope hat became more secure, he began organizing what is now known as the First Crusade. Taking place in the latter half of the 1090s, there is little doubt that Matilda was a great supporter and recruiter of the war. Many of her vassals went, and she helped raise troops. In 1099, Urban died and was succeeded by Pope Pascal II, another reformer in the mold of Pope Gregory. Anti-Pope Clement, still holed up in Ravenna, again tried to see if he might be able to take Rome. But with military help from both Matilda and Roger of Sicily, Pascal and his armies forced him to flee again, and he died the next year. Conrad died of a fever in 1101. One rumor was that she had the young man poisoned, although this seems dubious because despite the political limbo he was in, he was the emperor's eldest son and a close adherent of Matilda's. She was also able to handle a few minor rebellions over the next few years without too much trouble. Up in Germany in 1104, Henry's son, Henry, joined with rivals in rebellion against his father. Bishops and other churchmen tended to side with the rebels, who claimed allegiance to the Pope against the excommunicate emperor. Henry IV abdicated in favor of his son, who became Henry V, who swore to submit to the Pope for all church decisions, and asked that his election be confirmed. This was agreed upon, and for the moment, it appeared as this investiture controversy was finally over. But it wasn't, because Henry V decided to go once more onto the breach and revive the discussion about just what decisions belonged to what authority. In 1110, he marched into Italy, and Matilda kind of just stayed out of it this time. Now about 64 years old, she might have realized she wouldn't be able to fight much longer and wanted to figure out a more peaceful and lasting settlement. She was on good terms with Henry V, who brought a massive army, and she received him and many of his lords on their way to Rome. In Rome, he decided, after negotiations broke down, to just take the Pope and some of the bishops prisoner. Rather than raising an army, Matilda just reminded him that bishops from Tuscany should be allowed to go free, because she was his loyal ally, and Henry V complied. 
Pope Pascal decided to give in to Henry's investiture demands and crowned him emperor. Henry returned home and spent some time visiting his older cousin on the way, perhaps angling for some sort of an inheritance. Matilda spent the next few years devoted less to running her march and more to prayer. But in the summer of 1114, she became gravely ill. Rumors had it that she had died. Mantua revolted. But she recovered and sent the city's bishop to calm the people. They didn't believe him, so the now 68-year-old had to go take care of it herself. According to Duff, quote, she commanded that a levy of soldiers should be made all over her dominions, and that the vessels lying at anchor on the Po should arm themselves at once. She sent envoys to the Republic of Venice and other allies asking them for help, and made every preparation for the speedy annihilation of Mantua, unquote. Despite protests from her closest allies who feared for her health, she insisted on commanding the troops herself. Mantua freaked the heck out. We didn't mean to. We were just so upset because we thought you were dead and all that kind of stuff. She entered the city and granted a general pardon on October of 1114. She soon became ill again, this time praying in the cold with some monks who were visiting San Benedetto basically confined to bed after this. When Lent came around March of 1115, she insisted on fasting, which of course all her attendants and doctors advised against. After much protestation by everyone around her, she decided to stop fasting and instead feed the poor every day during Lent. But she continued to weaken, and finally she died in July of 1115, unable to recover from this last illness. After her death, the investiture controversy played out as she and Hildebrand slash Gregory and the church had hoped. Henry V and the Pope entered an agreement called the Concordat of Worms in 1122, which separated secular and ecclesiastical authority. Considered a victory for the church's spiritual authority, this is likely all Matilda wanted. The agreement also gave some secular authority to secular rulers, so there were concessions for both sides. It stabilized the church and improved the Pope's authority over it, even if the church's power still, in practice, ended up subordinate to kings and emperors. Tuscany itself did not stay the same after Matilda. The next margraves were appointed by Henry V, but their power was much more limited. They weren't strong enough to maintain imperial control, and the cities, First Florence, which wouldn't submit to Matilda's successor, but later Pisa, Siena, Lucca, and Genoa, also began to assert their independence. Despite the continued presence of the Holy Roman Empire in the region, the era of the Italian city-states had arrived. Matilda led a remarkable life, reigning as the Margrave of Tuscany, in many ways a nearly independent kingdom, from 1052 to 1115. From about 1069, when her stepfather Godfrey died, she essentially ruled Tuscany herself, whether married or not. This meant for something like 45 years, she was the authority in the land, often in support of the papacy over the empire to which she and her people belonged. She commanded unflinching loyalty in the immediate ancestral region, and while outside of the Apennine fortresses she faced occasional rebellion, other than with her conflicts with the emperor due to the investiture controversy, no one seemed to question her right to rule. 
Her land stretched from Tuscany on the west coast of northern Italy up through the Emilia-Romana region to the borders with Lombardy and the March of Verona and Aquileia and included Florence, Canossa, Reggio, Bologna, and Mantua on the northern side of the Po River. She was a strong leader, a military commander, and a learned woman. She played some part in the founding of the University of Bologna, now the oldest university in continuous operation. She instructed a scholar under her pay to collect and revive the old Code of Justinian, a set of Roman laws and legal theories that the emperor had compiled in the 520s and 530s. Florence M. Gillis in the Catholic Historical Review called her the strong right arm of the papacy. Nora Duff wrote, quote, She had held the reins of government for so long and all knew that her rule was a just one. Amidst all the strife and dissension that raged through the land during the greater part of her life, she never forgot to think what would be best for her subjects, unquote. She was a remarkable leader, and her independent streak helped add fuel to the fire of the notion of an independent northern Italy and helped usher in an era of powerful Italian city-states, the cradle of the Renaissance. She also helped change the direction of the papacy, from one that would do the bidding of the Holy Roman Empire, to one that was independent and had significant power in its own right. Under Matilda, the March of Tuscany was a powerful near kingdom, and she utilized that to shape the future of Europe and the Catholic Church. Next time, we'll stay within the Holy Roman Empire, but we'll move forward about 400 years, a little bit less, to detail a crusade that happened within Europe. It'll be the first of three parts. So, next time will just be sort of an intro, before we launch into the biography of one of the most successful generals Europe has ever seen. Although it might not be in two weeks. I've got some work travel and some vacation coming up, so I'll do my best to get it all put together as quickly as I can, but it's probably going to be more like three or four weeks before I'm done. So stay tuned because the season's not over. I'll be back just as soon as I can. Thanks for listening.